Yeah, you about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, Bake Town? Hey, how we doing? He's blank. I'm Branham. It's Joe George being distracted by Patrick Creighton. Assistant to the regional manager, PC sounding great with uh, Josh Beard. Like, listen to PC on the Who. It is a Taco Tuesday edition. My my invention, Taco Tuesday. A Taco Tuesday edition of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Lots to get to today. All 22s out for the Houston Texans. We love that. Uh, your favorite player in the NFL is done for the year. It stinks. Hate seeing that. Thoughts on that. Josh Allen. Not a great Monday night football game, but the Astros were in action last night. The Astros played a baseball game last night, and the Astros lost a baseball game to the Oakland single-A's Blankers with their ace on the mound. Yeah, Fromber was good. Uh, Waller Chuck was better. He was nasty. Uh, that first dude was unbelievable. Yeah, for two innings, and you, you, know, you, you figure that the A's are just kind of going through the motions, but obviously they're... They're, you're testing out pitchers and getting younger guys' experience, but the A's continue to find players in their system that they build and develop, and, and those two pitchers last night, if that's any indication of what they got coming up and what they've got around that system, that was impressive last night. You took a team that's leading the, the, a division, getting ready for the playoffs, hopefully, and, and you absolutely shut them down, and that wasn't just like one of those Dusty's going to Dusty lineups either. That was a really impressive pitching performance. Yeah, Mason. I like. Uh, I'm storing away that information on Mason Miller. I was really impressed with his stuff. But this is from an Astros point of view, obviously. Like, I, this is a wild take, Blankers. It's kind of what I'm known for. I think. Um, I think the Astros get bored. I think the Astros get bored over the course of 162. You know, all weekend long, you have a Padres team. Then I know the Padres' win-loss record's not good, but they have stars, right? They have a bunch of stars. You have Manny Machado. You have Juan Soto. You have Xander Bogart. You're facing who's the guy who's going to be the Cy Young. Now, he beat you in Blake Snell. You've been hearing for weeks now that you can't win at home. You're in the middle of this division race. So this weekend, like, there was something to play for. Like, let's show everybody that we can win at home. Okay, you did that. Let's show everybody we can create separation in the American League West. Okay, you did that. It was two and a half games entering play yesterday. Then they leave town. You've accomplished your feat of winning a series at home. You've extended this lead, and we're now... I don't, I'm not going to say that we feel comfortable. Maybe the Astros do for some weird reason, but you know we certainly don't. But you entered yesterday, 18 to play, two-and-a-half game lead. Oakland single A's coming to town. Astros get bored. They have one hit through eight innings. It's so weird. Yeah, I don't know. Complacency, but you go back to what Bregman, Bregman said. Mm-hmm. We're putting the foot down. We're not letting up. We want to win every game. Dusty puts out a lineup that looks like he wants to win every game. And yet you get this and you go, well, how does that happen? Like, you're right. I mean, they face the best pitchers in baseball in the most hostile environments. They know the Rangers had their World Series in Arlington, essentially, waiting to hand it to their in-state rival and really take take over upper hand of the division. And you beat the living snot out of them for three games. And then you have a stinker like last night, and all you could it's like trying to solve why they can't win at home. You scratch your temple and go, there's just no answer for it. Some nights these things are going to happen. I get it. It's still baseball, but that's a really dominant, really strong baseball team playing a team that's essentially the single A's for a reason. They're getting ready to move. They're not going anywhere. They're in and out guys left and right trying to figure out what their future is going to look like. 
and they got shut down. Isn't it weird? Like it's, it's strange. It really is. <laughs> and that's like I understand you're going to get beat, right? Like you're not the Oakland A's are, are lousy, but they have some wins. Like they, they've won they some baseball too. games this year. They're they're under contract. Uh, they've won forty five. I mean they're forty five and ninety nine. That's lousy, but they've won forty five games in hundred and fifty tries nearly. So like they're going to run into one. They're going to beat you every now and then. But it's consistent with the Ash, really in the golden era. It's not even consistent with this year. Like last year, they got swept by the A's in Oakland after they went to Seattle and swept Seattle in their little letterman jacket, let's have a reputation dog series. The Astros have a habit of playing. Look, we mentioned it yesterday. The Astros have a bit of a habit of playing down to their competition. I can't, you know, put, I, I can't put my finger on it other than they, they get a little bit complacent, like you said. They get a little bit bored with 162, which I can kind of understand too, right? Like this is an Astros team that is used to going to the World Series. This is an Astros team that has won two World Series. This is an Astros team that has been to the ALCS every single year since 2017. So, like, those are the games that you're used to playing, where the stakes are at the highest, whenever there's pressure mounting, when you can cut the tension, you know, with a knife inside the ballpark. You get 20,000 at Minute Maid Park for the Oakland Single A's. That's a hard game to get up for. Like, is it excusable? No. But I can certainly under, understand the mentality a bit. Well, you think about it. It wasn't just, like, you know, in the past, getting swept by the A's. Every single year for the last several years, they've had these kind of hiccup series or hiccup games where the Tigers, when they were god-awful, and they're not much better now, but they swept you. The Orioles, before they really found Rushman and really found their way, they were terrible. They swept you. You've had these little hiccups along the way, but this time in the season, every game is so hyper-important. That's why everybody's overreacting to what happened last night again because you know you're in the middle of a pennant race. You know that you're not out of the woods yet. There's no guarantees you win the division or that you make the playoffs. It's just that you're in the best position of the three teams right now. But I always look at that loss column, and I'm like, man, as long as there's just one game between you and second place, I'm not going to relax or feel comfortable as long as there's this many games to play. And you just hope that they bounce back tonight. They come back with a strong performance. But you had one of your two aces on the hill, as you mentioned, and you would expect to win that ball game. So when you don't, it does get people a little concerned. If Flimsy says no way Astros lose again is minus 300 favorites tonight, who knows? The Astros have a way of playing down in the like competition. I don't like 5-1 in the next six right now. No, they're going to have to sweep that. I still, I'm still com- uh, comfortable that they're going to win 4-2. 4-6. Four four yeah, 4-2 yeah. will be fine. I-, I still feel comfortable with that. Now you got to win today. Astros haven't released a lineup today yet either. That's uh, it's a little late for the Astros lineup. I'm still adjusting because normally it's like normal for us, but now in this time slot, yeah, it should be out by now. Yeah, usually we would get it late in the show. Now we get it before the show. But here we are, three oh seven. For still us, no loving for baseball would be a little perturbed that it comes out the segment after we get off the air, and I'm driving home going, "Well, we could have. I would. Why don't they said put it out a little earlier?" <laughs> yeah, I feel like if he was late on a day like today, uh, you mentioned Fromber. Uh, I thought Fromber was or, was all right. Like for the most part, he was good. He he had some hiccups. Like he had a little break, a hanging breaking ball that he gave up to that little shortstop Nick Allen that he he had an RBI on. Gave up a couple of gopher balls, which wasn't great. You know, you're pretty happy with a three-run over seven-inning performance from Fromber Valdez, especially when he strikes out ten. But if you throw in the caveat, it's the Oakland single A's. You kind of expect Fromber Valdez to, to have a little bit better That's start the prerequisite. than, than three, three runs on seven innings. Everybody against anybody else almost in baseball, for the most part, you'd go, I'll take that. But against the A's, the prerequisite is you're supposed to be better. And it's kind of like what you had said when we were talking about J.P. France over the weekend. He was good, not great. 
but he was good enough, mm-hmm. and he had a quality start. That's exactly what you could say about Framber Valdez. He hung a couple. He left a couple in the middle, right in the fat of the plate, sitting up in the zone, and he got hurt by it. But normally against the A's and with the offense, the way it's been clicking, you'd think, that's eh, no problem because they're going to come back, get theirs, probably get more in a hurry, and you're not going to have anything to worry about. But lo and behold, you only get one hit until the ninth inning, and you're left to, to wonder and, ana- and have more analysis to try and figure out what happened. I was fine with the way Fromber pitched because it wasn't bad. He didn't get crushed. The home run's a bit concerning, especially the one 440-plus is not something that you normally you normally see out of a Fromber Valdez. Langoliers is, is, I mean, he's sneaky. He's got a lot of pop. But overall, when I look at that, I'm not disappointed in Fromber. I'm really disappointed in just the offense. Yeah, the offense was the was the disappointment of that game yesterday. Fromber was, I mean, Fromber was all right. Uh, I thought he was dominant for most of the game, except for the hiccups. But that's a 386 ERA. You know, three runs over seven innings. So, but but again, like that's not the one thing that you're disappointed in. You're disappointed in that offense. They get shut out the whole time, and they they had one hit entering the ninth inning too. They yeah. had one hit. Entering the ninth inning, this Houston Astros lineup that was death lineup minus Yiner Diaz, uh, they get one hit through nine. I don't know how you feel about this. Uh, I don't. I'm not going to crush Dusty so much for it, especially because Oakland had a lefty on the mound. But we've talked about this time and time again. Look, we've kind of conceded to Dusty Baker that Yiner Diaz is not going to catch Fromber, Verlander, Javier. Uh, we understand that Yiner's probably going to be on the bench a lot of times in those games because Michael Brantley's going to play, Jordan's going to play. If you're not going to start Yiner, though, you have to use him as a pinch hitter from Maldonado when you're down two runs in the sixth inning. No like, question. You're down, and I understand that Fromber was still in the game. I understand that Yiner's going to have to catch Fromber for one inning in that seventh inning because he would have pinch hit for them in the sixth. If you're down late in the game and you're committed to Maldonado's catching your aces, your top starters in this rotation, and I'm not really that been out of shape about it yesterday because it was a lefty, but you have a righty on the mound in that moment, down by two runs in the sixth, even if Fromber or Verlander or Javier is going to pitch that next inning, that seventh inning, you can't let Martin Maldonado against a righty have a bat in that spot. No, I agree with that. And I think that, again, it's the prerequisite of the day. But you're playing the A's. So maybe Dusty just figured, you know, at a certain point they're going to break out. I don't understand it because every game is so hyper-important that, you know, we know the manager is quirky, but the manager has got to be hyper-focused on doing whatever he can to jumpstart the offense, especially when you, you're struggling to get base hits. You, you don't have any runs across the plate. The deficit is still more than one run, and you're getting later into the ball game. That's a time when you have to just sacrifice the fact that Maldi's done his job, Fromber pitched well enough, now I need to get as much offense as I possibly can at the dish because I've only got nine outs to play with or however many outs I had left at that time to say I need to get something started or I need to get a run on the board to get this thing within a run. And Dusty just kind of sits back in his recliner with his toothpick in going, eh, we'll be all right. Now you're looking at a situation where we just say win series. Now you've got to, you've got to be hyper-focused tonight because you've got to have, give, your chance, give your team a chance to win the series. Dusty lineup just dropped. Dusty lineup, who's not playing? Your favorite game. Uh, let's see. Verlander's on the tonight? mound. Verlander's so. on the Dubon is in center. Yeah. Okay. There's a, there's a different name in left field you might not expect. Uh, boy, Jake Myers is in left. No, no, no. Okay, no, good. not quite. That would be a different name that I didn't expect and didn't want. Kind of close. Chaz, yeah. Chaz is in left. Chaz is in left. You are on DHs. No Yiner. So no Brantley and no Yiner. Yeah, I don't mind the Brantley thing because you kind of have to. You kind of have to ease Brantley in. Like you don't want Brantley to have shoulder inflammation again. So I, I, I get that. 
Now, I didn't love that Michael Brantley was in the lineup. You, like, if you know that Michael Brantley is going to like not play in one of these two games, why wasn't it yesterday? Whenever the uh, the bulk guy was a lefty. Yeah. Like, I know that J.P. Sears, Sears is also a lefty who's on the mound today. The Bolt guy was a lefty yesterday, too. Like, Brantley only had one at bat against the opener because he only pitched two innings. So you should have sat Michael Brantley, but the prerequisite of the day, yeah, but it was the A's. I know. I mean, that's that's unfortunately going to be the story of the day. But, you know, yeah, you're right. It's understandable Brantley's out of the lineup. I just, you know, I hope that everybody else, was that, you're saying Yiner's the one that was out? Yiner's not playing. It's Altuve. Pena, Jordan, Bregman, Tucker, Abreu, Chaz, Dubon, Maldonado. So Yiner, two days off in a row for the Houston Astros. Yeah, I'm not good on that. Trying to avoid a series loss at the hands of the Oakland single A's tonight. Now Justin Verlander is on the mound. 713-780-ESPN. You can get your thoughts in on yesterday's Astro defeat. The hand of the single A's, 713-780-3776. The HRP listener line. We're also on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. He's at Pac-Man Joel. He's at Joe George Radio. I'm at Jeremy Branham. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. And Jeremy Branham. Oh, Ocho says, guys, if you didn't see that uh, L to the A's coming from the Astros, you're either naive or haven't been watching. Be prepared for similar results versus the Royals. I'm with you, Ocho. Like we said yesterday, Astros have a tendency of playing down to their competition. I think they get bored when the stakes aren't that the stakes aren't that high. Someone says Astros are really good when they're getting booed, which is true. They're really, really good. Uh, really, really good on the on the road. King of Twitch on the Twitch line says that Yiner can't hit lefties. I don't mind him not being in the lineup today, which. It's true. The, the numbers show that Yiner is not as good against lefties as righties. Uh, Maldonado is actually decent against righties. Wasn't decent yesterday, though. Was not decent yesterday. The entire lineup was not decent yesterday. No, it really wasn't. And these things are going to happen. I think the one thing that we do is because of the situation this team is in is that we're living and dying with every win and loss, every game and every outcome, which is natural. But as part of it, when you look at the body of work that this team has put together over the last couple of weeks, when we really were a bit concerned about where they were. I think the three of us still felt like they were going to get in and that we were still picking them to win the division. But a lot of people were looking at it going, this is a really critical stretch. And they did their jobs just phenomenally during that time. So you have a hiccup. We It's all forgotten if they play well tonight. But because of the situation they're in with the standings, it's magnified. And, and, and people are naturally right in their concern. But you just you just believe that there's too much talent on this team for this to be a thing that's going to roll over and continue to be something that's a problem, especially with the way they've been putting up crooked numbers. Yeah, that's kind of how I view Dusty, Like to be honest. like We're going to criticize and nitpick Dusty over one single game, which the Sports Talk Radio, of course we're going to do that. Uh, body of work, I feel like Dusty's done a, done a good job. So it's kind of the way that I view Dusty Baker. Now, there is some silver lining coming from that game yesterday, Plankers. I like that the Rangers jumped the Mariners. Look, the lead is shrunk. It's now two instead of two and a half like it was yesterday. Rangers beat the Blue Jays. Yay. Uh, Mariners lose again. They're kind of uh, feeling it here a little bit. But it's good that the Rangers are ahead of the Mariners because you have the tiebreaker on the Rangers. You don't have the tiebreaker on the Mariners. If you're rooting for second place in the American League West at this stage, it's good that it's the Rangers and not yeah, Seattle. Yeah, no question. And I, and I think that you know we can flip it, Jeremy, on what we've been saying about the A's and go and look at Seattle. They're losing to the Angels. And the Angels still have everybody sitting out. And the Angels are a bad baseball team. And Otani's not playing. And you're going, well, how does that happen, too? It's baseball. So, thankfully, you're not the only one. I think that's the silver lining of all silver linings on top of what you said, which is every time the, the Astros have a little hiccup like this, 
it seems like everybody does them a solid within the division, and they don't lose any ground. And so that's the most hyper-important thing of all of this because of the fact that you ultimately want to win the division. Yeah. And, and that gives you a better chance like, because with every time that happens, it's a less you know one less game on the schedule. Like, you lost a half a game because you were two and a half ahead of Seattle. Now Texas is only two back, but Texas has to jump you. Like, Texas essentially is three games behind. They're, they're three games yep. behind because they not only have to make up two games – but they have to jump you. So they're really three games behind the Astros. So the Mariners are still technically the closest team. Like, I understand in the standings, the Rangers two back, Mariners two and a half. But the Mariners, they gain three games on you, they jump you. They gain two and a half games on you, they own the tiebreaker. They jump you. The Rangers have to be three clear of the Astros. So, yes, Rangers technically in the standings, the next closest team. But the Mariners have the better you know, mathematical chance because they own the tiebreaker over the Astros. So it's good that the Rangers are in second. Good that the Mariners are in third. I sent out nice things about Rafael Montero yesterday, and then he let me down. I know he did he right let away. me down. I think yeah, the other thing, too, for me rude. that I'm watching with the standings is, frankly, I'd rather play the Rangers in the, in the first round of the playoffs in the ALDS. And right now, if the playoffs were to go as is, you would get the winner of the Twins and the Rangers. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think that's a better matchup than getting the Rays. I agree so with that. I kind of like the idea of an ALDS versus those two teams versus, you know, the Blue Jays or the Rays or anything like that. I, so. I was thinking the same thing simply because of the fact that Garcia is out for the Rangers and you just basically handed their breakfast, lunch, and dinner the last time you played them. Yeah. So I think momentum means something. I think that, you know, having a guy with that much pop in the middle of their lineup missing, but they would have to beat Minnesota, but Minnesota doesn't worry me. Toronto has a lot of talent, and t- Toronto's one of those young teams where if they catch momentum going their way and they're starting to feel good about themselves, they can come in and get real hot. And so that's concern. And, and the, the Rays, to be honest with you, based on what they did over the uh, against Seattle, no matter who's missing from that lineup, both pitching and in the lineup, they just find a way to win. Mariners kind of scare me. I know that they're reeling right now, but that that rotation's pretty stinking. Good. That's why I would rather. I'd much rather be the Rangers. Yeah. And and the Twins facing off, and the Twins and the Mariners. Like I don't I don't want to see the Mariners in a five game series. Yeah. That pitching staff is awesome. Even though you swept them last year in a five game series, even though you swept them, you leave that sweep saying I really don't want to see them in a five game series again. Remember I said that was like the 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 longest toughest sweep you'll ever see in baseball because of how hard fought and extra innings it seemed like every single game was or right down to the wire. Yeah, I don't want I want nothing to do with him. Montero, that he he did the blanker special, gave up the home run on an O two fastball. <laughs> I can't stand throwing hittable pitches O two. It was hittable, very hittable. Yeah, and <laughs> and that basically was your 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 good night, Irene, and, and let's go to bed call because of the fact that if it was a two nothing game or it was within reach, you you felt like they had a chance. But you know, then even what made it worse was in the ninth when you get the first two guys on. And you're looking around going, man, if this was a two-run game, this would be really, with Jordan coming to the plate, this would be really enticing. But now, you know, you're sitting there going, God, but you need four in the ninth? I, I just, it made it so much tougher because of what Montero did. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, it was, you're right, it was good night, Irene, with that home run. Maton, I thought, looked really good. Like, if you want to nitpick some relievers, Maton looked really good. Sweet Maybe bro. give Maton a clean inning. He was a lot different with clean innings versus when he inherits some runners. He looked really good yesterday. Also, like, we've talked about this in the past. Like, who gives you more confidence defensively in left field? I've seen enough. I've seen enough. I have much more confidence, Michael Brantley, in left field than I do Jordan Alvarez. He's fine in left field. He's a better defender than Jordan Alvarez in left field. I trust him more with the baseball in left field, catching a baseball in left field, 
And if I had to pick one of two guys that I'm making sure I'm keeping safe by not playing them in the field, love you, Uncle Mike, but it's obviously Jordan Alvarez. Yeah, no doubt about it. But I think it goes back to something that you said about a week ago about what kind of physical condition he looked in. It looked like he's in. You wanted to see him play a few balls in, in, in the outfield, get some more plays where we can judge how, how nimble he is and how he looks throwing the baseball. There was a, one of the base hits late in the game last night where he really closed ground on that baseball quickly and got it back into the infield with a solid throw. And I was like, okay, now I'm, re- I'm the more I see him out there, the more I feel like he might even be a little quicker and a little more on it than he would. Maybe the rest of all season has helped him in that regard too. But he looked like a guy that I could really believe that he could play some left field for me and not get you know the super slows going to a baseball or take the wrong path or angle. He always knows the situation. So, yeah, if it makes makes you feel better that Jordan can get even more plate appearances and be healthier because of it, that he doesn't have to play left field, that's totally fine with me. I think we're talking about the same play. It's where he cut it off from going into the corner. Yeah, that's the play where I was like, yeah, Michael Brantley's my left fielder. dime to yep. get it back in. Yeah, see, that's the thing with, like, like Jordan's an incredible athlete. Jordan, whenever he gets going at full steam, he is fast. We obviously know he's got a cannon for an arm. I'm not worried about like Jordan running. I'm worried about Jordan stopping, quite frankly. Let's, let's, all I need to tell people is if you have any want or desire to have Jordan in left field, the Jordan on skates trying to stop, without, like on hockey skates for the first time when you don't know how to stop on a hockey skate for anybody that's been in the winter and, and, and tries – that's that play when he was running in left center field and just lost all sense of, of mm-hmm. being able to stop, start, or plant and looked like the season could be over. You never want to see that again. There's never. so there's so many of them. There's that play, which is the most recent one. There's plays where he goes into the padded wall in foul territory. And let's not forget when he almost murdered Jeremy Pena last year. Coming in, yeah. Like, he's not known to stop on a dime. That's the thing that terrifies me. Like, him running full speed, don't really care. But him stopping is where it scares me. And that's like a hamstring it's thing, like, too. It's like when you slow down after you're running full speed. Yeah, but it's like a, he can get to zero sixty five 65 in no time flat. But going from 65 to zero, that's another story where the brake pads aren't working. Yeah, yeah. Double rods with a nice shot. I appreciate that, but I'm not going to say it on the air. 713-780-ESPN, the HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. Let's define when we can grade C.J. Stroud relative to the rest of the league. We had a spirited conversation yesterday. Blankers and I, I think, are on the opposite end of the spectrum. Where do you define it? At what point is it okay to start looking at C.J. Stroud relative to the rest of the NFL? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. As you can tell, football season is here. Once you have those spirited conversations, you know that football season is here, and the U of H home opener in the Big 12 is right around the corner. In fact, it's this Saturday. The Cougs hosting last year's national championship runner-up, the TCU Horned Frogs. The home opener was electric against UTSA, and we want to see it again in the Big 12 home opener this Saturday at 7 p.m. Buy a Cougar Paul package. It includes three games. You can select TCU as one of those games. The package is only $66. It does not include the Texas game. Get your tickets today. Do the math on that. Three games, $66, bucks, 22 dollars a ticket. That's nothing. 713-GO-COUGS, UHCougars.com. Come early and enjoy all the new activities in Cougar Alley in front of TDECU Stadium, including the huge LED TV screen, the Bud Light Backyard, the Coke Fan Zone, food trucks, and more, and DJ James Kennedy will be there Saturday. 
Saturday in front of TDECU Stadium at Cougar Alley. Spirit of Houston performing at the half. Entertainment by cheerleaders Cougar Doll, Shasta Sasha, and DJ Yobi Yobes in the student section. Get your tickets right now. 713-GO-COUGS-UHCOUGARS.COM slash tickets. Take advantage of the Cougar Paul package. Don't miss all the fun and pageantry of college football. Come early. Be loud. 5 and 92.5. Yesterday, Blankers and I had a spirited conversation about C.J. Stroud relative to quarterbacks in the NFL and when it's fair to start grading them with C.J. Stroud involved. I think it's fair the moment he plays a professional game. Blankers, context matters with Blankers. And, you know, based on offensive line, targets, a lot of things come into play. I think it's fair to say Blankers were on opposite ends of the spectrum. Where I'm, it's right now for me, you, you kind of need things to, you know, be competent around him. All right. So that's one end. That's the other end. 713-780-3776. What end is it for you? And maybe you're in the middle. Maybe because I, I tweeted this out yesterday. Some people were like, hey, uh, once he gets a competent offensive line, uh, four games. He's a pro. It's fair to compare him now. So it, this is, it's all over the place. And, and again, being on both sides of the spectrum, I think is fun because it allows everybody to kind of weigh in on this. Uh, a few of the texts yesterday, because, I mean, the text line went nuts whenever we were having this argument. The phone line was off the hook. Uh, it was an argument. <laughs> I mean, I think it's fair to call it an argument, which is fine. Um, some people that texted in yesterday, grading him in week one against the other 31 is not really fair. Okay, that's one of them. Uh, somebody, bad take Branham, saying that he's not on par with the other season quarterbacks is like saying a new employee should know as much as a 10-year veteran. That can't be compared. Justin, I, I hear that, and I understand that, and I think it's a good analogy. Where I'm going to take it, though, Blankers, is this. Like, I get that. I get that comparing him to a 10-year veteran versus a dude that just started on the job, that the guy that just started on the job is going to be nowhere close to the 10-year veteran. Nowhere close. But the difference is you're asking that dude that's the new employee that's the first day on the job to give you the production of a 10-year veteran. Why? Because you don't have next year's first-round draft pick. Like I think that, that Nick Casario, and I, I don't think that Nick Casario was really fair to C.J. Stroud in doing this, but Nick Casario put C.J. Stroud in a position where the Houston Texans are win now with a rookie quarterback because they don't have their first-round draft pick. And by not having their first-round draft pick, that's more pressure for a rookie quarterback to win games immediately. I hate that. I don't I don't want to look at this season with win and losses. I want to have fun with the development of C.J. Stroud. That's what I was doing yesterday. I want to see where C.J. Stroud is relative to the rest of the league week by week. Let's watch that improvement week by week. For a rookie starter first game, yeah, he was really, really good. He had some inconsistencies. Overall, relative to the league, you know, people are going to have difference of opinions. The one part I hate about this, though, is that wins are important to the 2023 Houston Texans more so than when you when you have a rookie quarterback. Like, they put more of an emphasis on winning than they should have. They, and it's essentially everybody that's going to say, well, it was the trade was Will Anderson. No, well, we said right from the jump. Both these guys are going to be under the – they're going to be joined at the hip and they're going to be scrutinized and over-scrutinized and highly scrutinized because of the move that you made. And you're right. We, we talked about it at the time. You and I were completely concerned and, and had issue with the trade. But we, we passed judgment to say, you know, look, if these both guys both ball out, there's a chance – that this trade still works out. And, of course, if the Browns don't play well, that would help too. But there's a chance that you can be okay with everything, and it, it all's well, it ends well, and maybe it ends well for both sides. But because of it, the extra scrutiny is going to matter. The other thing that matters to me is, like, I'm trying to do, and I, I'm trying to get the right analogy here. It's like if we're playing 17 holes instead of 18 holes, we're playing 18 holes of golf. 
But I, I'm, I'm trying to piece together the round, right? A, a, a hole at a time. So for hole one, I'm going to say you got par, okay? You, you, maybe a, you're right at par. Maybe yeah. you bogeyed. But you played the hole well enough to where I was pleased with the play after week one. But the scorecard's going to be all 17 holes. And we're going to get a, a, a pretty good consensus by the end of that. And because we said, look, we're going to be doing this every week because yeah. it's the only natural thing to do with this situation and because it's a quarterback, that for week one, with all things considered and the way it was kind of stacked against him, I'm totally good Give him a thumbs up. But I'm not, you know, I understand what you're saying because of the fact that, let's take what happened last night, for, for example. Josh Allen is no rookie quarterback. Josh Allen's going to face scrutiny no matter what. But Josh Allen playing the way he did and doing what he did when he has a team that's capable of winning the Super Bowl, that's going to be scrutinized even more. Yeah. And that happens in every city that has an NFL football team. He, he has more at stake because that's a Super Bowl contender. But the Texans have more at stake than like when Deshaun Watson was here, even though that was a team that was coming off the playoffs. Because they don't have their own first-round draft pick. Like, they've mm-hmm. added Absolutely. stakes to the 2023 win-loss record. And personally, I think that's unfair for a rookie quarterback. Very I think good. it's unfair for C.J. Stroud. Because you're right. It is a 17-hole, you know, round for C.J. Stroud relative to the 2023 season. And that's why I'm comparing him to, like, other quarterbacks in the NFL week by week. I don't care that he's 20th in week one. He's playing in his first-ever NFL game. And I thought he handled himself well with the situation that he was presented. A patchwork offensive line. Uh, a receiving core that I've called, I think you've called, the worst receiving core in the NFL. So the, the deck is really good defense. You're on the road. So, like, the deck was stacked against him. I completely agree. And a rookie quarterback first game, I thought he, he held his head above water terrifically. You gave him par, I'd probably give him po- a bogey relative to the rest of the year. That's not that far off. But I hate the stakes that the Texans have put on the young kid. Because, if look, C.J. Stroud could have a promising rookie year. They're 4-13, and 13 and they miss out on the number 3 pick of the NFL draft. Yeah, it's going to be extremely painful. And, it, and you're going to know exactly why. You don't have to look very far for answers. And that's what's going to be even more disturbing about it. It's going to be more frustrating for a lot of people because it didn't have to be so. And, and you didn't have to. As well as you've played out everything except for the last week of the regular season a year ago, over a two-year span... You essentially did what you didn't really want to admit you were doing, but did it well enough to where we knew what you were doing. And whether we call it embrace the suck or whatever, you were re- you were pressing the reset button and you were following every step of the plan to get you where you needed to go quickly. And then all of a sudden it started with that and then it gets to the trade and you're looking at the two things that could actually take you back a step and a half or more, hopefully not, in your development. And that's that that sucks because you do have a kid that you think can be that guy. And you're trying to give him every chance to win and make put everything around him that could give him a better chance to win, and now that might not be the case. And I want to be very, very clear. I think C.J. Stroud's going to be a good quarterback. I liked a lot of stuff that I saw on film for C.J. Stroud. There's a lot of bad plays, too. There's a lot of good plays. There's a lot of bad plays. In fact, I like that. I like that because that gives you... Like, that gives you the groundwork of where you need to improve. And that's what I liked about C.J. Stroud in his post-game press conference. These are the areas that I need to work on. And those were the areas that I saw that he struggled. Secondly, the areas he struggled aren't lack of talent reasons. It's lack of NFL experience. Sometimes it's lack of talent around him. I thought it was more lack of experience, if I'm being completely honest. We'll get into that stuff a little bit later. Quite honestly, I love Will Anderson. Like, Will Anderson was a beast on Sunday. He was unbelievable. And somebody just texted it at 8170. They do have a first-round pick next year. Uh, They just picked him three overall this year. There's no difference. 
I see what you're saying. Texans parlayed their pick next year into Will Anderson, and so far the early returns, one of 17 games, is that Will Anderson's going to be a very, very good football player. His score, his whole one score, thumbs up. I give it a birdie. Yeah, it, it's a birdie I, he for was, sure. He yep. was really stinking good. Yeah, I thought I he was good. good enough. I thought well, you can't give him an eagle, though. <laughs> I mean, he was like, so good. I thought eagle he was, would be multiple stats. Like, yeah. A pick or a score. Now, he impacted, he impacted that game more than his stat line. No and doubt. he had a good stat line. He impacted the interception. Too. Quite, oh, D'Amico looks good. Yep. I'm bullish on D'Amico Ryans. But to, to this texture's point, like I see where you're coming from. I understand that response. They do have a first-round pick next year. It's, you know, they just used it with Will Anderson. Not exactly. Like, they also used pick number 12. They also used one of the first picks in the second round. So, like, yeah, kind of, but it was three separate picks that they used for Will Anderson, not the one. Now, Will Anderson can play above any of the players that you got there, but to what you were saying earlier, it's not only Will Anderson. Like, C.J. Stroud also has to produce better than that return for two reasons. One, you could have traded that pick for the return that you ended up trading for to number three, or you just take Will Anderson at number two and you just play along with the picks that you have. Right, and you could have used your second first-round pick then to get a quarterback later in the first round if you were hell-bent on that, or because you knew that your roster wasn't quite there yet to be the kind of, you know, to be with the, in the situation they're in now expecting wins to where you could get another positional player somewhere else knowing that you're probably going to be in a position to get a, good, a quarterback maybe as good or better next season, depending on where your draft pick falls. Mm-hmm. And as it relates to the conversation from yesterday, the biggest thing, too, is that every – my big point was just situation matters because it's week one, but week one city by city matters. You know, I, I grew up and have lived my whole life watching a Green Bay Packers franchise with Favre and Rodgers that week one didn't matter. Week one was just almost a pass and, and because they never played in the preseason and they didn't get the reps and the timing. But you knew by the end of the year you'd give them more than a passing grade because they were going to find theirs. Yeah. Or if there was a quarterback competition, right? You got two guys that were fighting for the job. Both are veterans. And one of them gets the job. Well, it matters in week one because if you crap the bed in week one, you're immediately going to have your head on the chopping block or people calling for the other guy to get the gig. So as a rookie quarterback, that's the same kind of situation where it matters situationally because you're a rookie quarterback that you have a ton stacked against you and you don't have experience and a resume that says, been there, done that, it'll be fine. Yeah, but he's he's always going to be compared to his peers. Like he's yeah. like whenever you're looking, like the Texans are going to stick with C.J. Stroud for the foreseeable future. He's not going to be Josh Rosen. Don't get it twisted. He's not going to be Josh Rosen. But Arizona has compared Josh Rosen to his peers when they decided to move on from him, and they also compared him to the rookie in the next year's draft in Kyler Murray. Like Zach Wilson, we were banging on Zach Wilson from the very start. We were bang, banging on Trey Lance from the very start. You know who else we were banging on with an equally bad supporting cast Davis Mills like we were crucifying Davis Mills who was a third round quarterback I just don't love the like I feel like we're giving we're crowning CJ Stroud way too soon like I again I think CJ Stroud has incredible potential I think CJ Stroud's the type of guy that's not going to allow himself to fail he's not Johnny Manziel he's not Jamarcus Russell he's incredibly talented and he's a hard worker and I think that's going to lead to success but after one week, and look, he was mediocre for a variety of reasons. For a variety of reasons, people are saying he's better than Russell Wilson and Geno Smith. Like, come on, like, like it's let's, a daily let's report let card, him right? get better. You you get a daily grade in a lot of when kids are in school early on. You get a daily report card grade. But at the end of the year, you're going to get the grade that matters. At the end, you know, at a certain point, you, you know, your your semester, your, your mid season, your mid season, or your mid school year report card is going to tell you a lot about the student the course, and are they getting it? 
And I think that's why it, it all takes time. But you're right to your point on Casario because the fact was he was already going to be compared the entire season and more to the guys that he was drafted in the same draft class with. He was going to be compared to Young. He was going to be compared to Richardson. He was going to be compared to, to, to Will Levis if Will if and when Will Levis gets on the field because pe- did the team miss on him or did right. – did, you know, you were high on him. Were, were teams right in saying that he slid as far as he did? But now on top of that comparison, you're going to be compared every single move you make because of the moves that were made draft day to get the two guys they got. But also, what do you want Stroud to be? Like, you want him to be a franchise quarterback, yep. right? Like, you want him to lead the Houston Texans to the playoffs, right? So, like, at some point, and again, you can define the point, 713-780-3776. At some point, he has to be in the conversation with... How does he stack up with Josh Allen? How does he stack up with Pat Mahomes? How does he stack up with these other AFC playoff quarterbacks? Is it fair to do that in week one? You tell me. 713-780-3776. I think the day that you start as a pro. It's Joel and Jeremy. All right, C.J. Stroud. Relative rest of the NFL. When's it fair to talk about it? 713-780-3776. Let's go out to the HRP. Actually, before we do that, Lamont sent us an interesting tweet. I'm not going to read it on the air. He says, I was going to comment on the rookie versus established quarterbacks thing. I just got mad and turned to the fat black dude in the Arkansas quarterback. Almost did that, he said. You weren't going to read it on the air, though. Whoops. My bad. 713-780-3776. And on Twitter, he's a Pac-Man Joel at Jeremy Branham. Don't, re- don't send us things that will Ron Burgundy. Uh, let's go out to the HRP listener line. Rob, you're in the hive with the killer beast. What's up, Rob? Hey, guys. Appreciate you taking my call. Uh, I disagree with uh, kind of what you're saying. I don't really think that the trade has any effect on, on C.J. Stroud's expectations. I don't think it it uh, speeds up the the timeline of the Texans. I think this year is, is still solely about the improving of the players that are going to be around here when hopefully the team is better, whether it's, it's Stroud or Pierce or Stingley and Petrie and Dell and Juice Strug. If those guys continue to improve, who really cares what the – what the record is, it'll it'll be a little tough watching if if, if they're terrible and they're four and thirteen and their draft pick is number four. Yeah, it'll it'll, it'll be a little tough watching the Browns. Or, or I'm sorry, the Cardinals take that pick. But hopefully, we're looking down at a at a defensive rookie of the year trophy and seeing Will Anderson's name wanted to make it feel a little bit better. Um, and and it also affects the the later round. So if they are four and thirteen, then maybe they have the number three pick in the second round instead of the middle of the round. Um, and then just to answer the question you asked right before you went to break. Uh, when is it fair to, to judge Stroud against everybody else? When they start getting weapons like everybody else. When you give them a Stephon Diggs, a Jamar Chase, uh, Justin Jefferson, you get them offensive line that's competent. Um, then we can start really, really uh, seeing who, who, how he stacks up against everybody else. Or you're going to end up looking at him like David Carr, and we really never know if David Carr could have been a, a decent quarterback or not. Rob, I, Rob, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. I got a question for you. Were you comparing Davis Mills to other quarterbacks? No. Okay. Fair enough. Because yeah, no, enough. I never was. Sorry. And then here, here, here's the other thing. Like you, you got, you kind of got to my point. You, you think that it's a softer landing though, because you're like, yeah, it'll be a little tough if you have the whatever pick, and it's Marvin Harrison Jr. And then you talked about the weapons. Like, how are you getting weapons? I understand the Texans have cap space. Now they have roster spots to fill. Like, do we think they're going to get T. Higgins? Like, you're talking about a weapon for C.J. Stroud, and you might be talking about the next Randy Moss that was the opportunity cost of, you know, either not selecting Will Anderson at number two or trading up for Will Anderson at number three. So, like, 
that is what is what is at stake for C.J. Stroud, and I hate that for C.J. Yeah. Stroud. That's why wins and losses matter in 2023 when I wish that they wouldn't for a rookie QB. Well, and the other thing, too, that you have to factor into all of this, Rob and, and Jeremy, is the fact that what did you what did you need and what's valued in the league, right? Because you had plenty of options with your own picks that you didn't have to do a single thing for and no one would have crucified you for and you could have continued this rebuild whether you went Will Anderson, didn't go quarterback at all. If you went quarterback, you could have gotten yourself a defensive player with the other pick and then you could have moved it down the road and said next year I'm going to get you know something else. Marvin Harrison Jr. is one thing. Marvin Harrison Jr., the way this league runs, the way this league values talent and you've seen how the diminished, diminished value in running backs. Receivers are through the roof and he doesn't have anything. And you're looking for a Jamar Chase. You're looking for a big-time wide receiver. You've got to find one in the draft or in free agency. But if you could find one in the draft with your own pick next year, and you give your if you went quarterback like you did with Stroud, you get that weapon and you get better. It's an opportunity cost. But if you go Will Anderson, you don't get a quarterback. If Caleb Williams is staring you in the face next year, mm-hmm. or or God knows, maybe it's Drake May or someone else, too, that's going to be yours right now. Whoever could be possibly there, too, that could be as good or better than Stroud. And you already got a defensive player like Anderson. You could be better. That's why I hate the black cloud. Because right. I, I want, like, I like C.J. Stroud. I think C.J. Stroud's going to be good. I don't like that we have to sit there and, like, in 12 months, could you have had Caleb Williams? Uh, could Marvin Harrison Jr. be paired up? With C.J. Stroud, like I don't and they like in that. college, so they already have chemistry yeah. and timing and all those things. So you look at those, and we were talking about this. The point I was making about situations matter, and it's situational. The one thing that we haven't brought up this conversation that we continually remind people of too, when we were talking about quarterbacks, situationally in the AFC, it's one thing to say you got a good quarterback that's starting quarterback in this league, but for the next seven years. You're looking at a gauntlet of quarterbacks in the AFC that you want to compete with. Yeah, and that that's kind of my point yesterday. I didn't do a great job of like getting there, but like that is the aspiration of Houston Texan fans with CJ Stroud. Like if you draft a quarterback at number 2, why are you doing that? Because you expect him to be a franchise quarterback. You expect him to go toe to toe at some point, not now, in 3 years with the other best quarterbacks in the league. Otherwise, you're not taking a guy at number 2 if those aren't the aspirations. So let's see the plight of CJ Stroud getting to that point. It might take 3 years, to your point. It might take Four weeks, which would be unbelievable, but the plight in the journey of a young quarterback is the fun of it. It's also too you have to factor in when I said you know who's around him, the weapons, who's healthy, all those things. Because situationally, you could be Brock Purdy, but that means your rest of your roster is absolutely loaded beyond yeah. belief to where Brock Purdy just has to be a game manager, and that's the way you're going to set your team up. But more times than not, when you look at the top five quarterbacks in the AFC, they're game changers all by themselves. I'm wondering if we're underrating Brock Purdy. Like, and I'm guilty. Guilty as charged. I've done it too. Like, he might be a little bit better than a game manager. Brock Purdy's not bad. 713-780-3776. It's more of a loaded team than it is a quarterback-driven team. Like, Kansas City, you know, they, they have Travis Kelsey. They have Chris Jones. They didn't in week one. But that's a quarterback-driven team. That That is a Pat Mahomes team. Like, Maybe even the Buffalo Bills are. I know they have Stephon Diggs. They have a really good defense. That's a quarterback-driven team. Cincinnati's nice with Jamar Chase. Their offensive line was terrible in week one. But, like, that's kind of a – if they didn't have Burrow, where are they? Like Herbert's he, got a, a younger receiver they mm-hmm. paid a ton of money to that hasn't really come into his own yet. And an older guy, that Keenan Allen, that keeps hanging on. And, and you have a good running back in Eckler. But overall, you 
these teams go as far as their quarterback takes them yep. as opposed to San Francisco, which is systematically set up for success all around the roster. B. Hannon says Brock Purdy and C.J. Stroud switch teams. Purdy would suck here. I agree. Purdy would suck here. But Purdy's better in San Francisco than Stroud would be right now, today. Now, in 10 weeks, we might have a different conversation. In 14 months, it might be a different conversation. But who gives the San Francisco 49ers the better chance to win today? It's Brock Purdy. My it's only Brock issue Purdy. with like the, the talent, adding talent to really grade and evaluate C.J. Stroud is like you just, you just can't guarantee that you're ever going to get it. Like, like there are teams in the NFL who are always talent deprived. Like we all want, like I want T. Higgins to be here for sure, mm-hmm. number one target, zero catches, great start to the season. But like, what if you miss out on him? What if he goes to the Arizona Cardinals or the Washington Commanders or something like that, and you and you miss out? And and yes, you in theory could have used your draft pick, but it, it's like you can't guarantee that this elite talent is going to be there, or that even when you have talent, it's going to be healthy. So like, yeah, CJ has to be good enough to succeed also when the talent is deprived. But like, I agree with everything you said, and I think it's a really good point. But is it talking out of both sides of your mouth whenever, we're, we're, whenever we're saying, well, C.J. Stroud, we can't grade yet because the, the, the talent around him is not great? Because I like your point. Like, you can't guarantee talent. Like, how many times did the Detroit Lions pick a receiver that was a bust? Like the Blackman guy yeah, in Jacksonville was, was an absolute – like, you cannot guarantee talent. I 100% agree with you. But if you're saying that you can't guarantee talent, we can't just say C.J. Stroud is going to be forgiven for the next decade no, if he doesn't have he's talent not, around because him. Because eventually, like, you will be able to acquire talent that is good enough – to make him better, that he will make better. I think last year with Jacksonville is the perfect example. Everyone, the minute Christian Kirk signed his contract with the Jacksonville Jaguars, said it was an absolute joke. It was a terrible contract. But look what happened when him and Trevor Lawrence were out there. And and like and Zay Jones, Trevor Lawrence, he raised the level of the players around him. So while that's way unfair to ask in week one, sure. it's like you still also you can't wait forever for that talent to be there. And even with the draft stuff next year, I'm I'm just always I think going to be on the opposite side of you guys with this. Like I kind of agree with the, the last caller. I believe in Will Anderson. I think he's going to be an elite player in the NFL, and I think CJ Stroud is going to be very good.